You notice I'm by myself this morning, and I'd like to say it isn't because my wife gave me a bad critique of my sermon a couple of weeks ago when she came with me, and I've decided to leave her at home today, but uh, we had a phone call about six o'clock this morning to say her mother was feeling quite poorly, so Vows had to go out to Mid-Devon to look after her mother. Well, in fact, her mother ended up in hospital this morning, but um, uh, so she's passed it on her best wishes and to say that she'd like to have been with you this morning, but she can't be. But anyway, it's nice to be with you. Uh, if you've got your Bibles with you, we're just finishing off the series this morning in Acts chapter 28. Uh, they've given me quite a few verses. Um, I think we might need a couple of hours to deal with all of them. Uh, but some of you look as though you've got lunch you've got to go home to. So uh, I, I just particularly want to concentrate on just a little part of it. Uh, but we're going to read all of it together. Never apologize for reading scripture. Uh, Acts 28 verse 11 says this, After three months, we went out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. They sound a bit like a sort of a, a boy band from that sort of era, don't they? But I don't know what they were, but they were gods of that. And we put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there we set sail and arrived at Regium. The next day the south wind came up, and on the following day we reached Petroli. There we found some brothers who invited us to spend a week with them. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there had heard that we were coming. And they traveled as far as the Forum of Appius, and three taverns, to meet us. And at the sight of these men, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. And when we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. And three days later, he called together the leader of the Jews. And when they assembled, Paul said to him, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. But when the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had any charge to bring against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. And they replied, we have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of the brothers who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we wanted to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day, and came in even larger numbers to the place where he is staying. From morning until evening, that's a good sermon, isn't it? From morning until evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers. He said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For these people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God 
and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you want one verse that almost sums up the whole Paul's mission, it's that he had sent God salvation to proclaim God's salvation to the Gentiles. Amen. We didn't really get a summer holiday this year, so last weekend I thought in a romantic gesture my wife and I would go away to Bude for the weekend. Well, when you get a bit older, romance doesn't get quite so hot as it used to, did it? So I splashed out £31 a night on the Premier Inn at Bude. That's as romantic as I get at my age, £31 a night at the Premier Inn at Bude. And we walked over the weekend 22 miles. We had a lovely time walking along the coastal path. Uh, most of the time there was no phone signal. It was fantastic. Kids had been left behind. I had a couple of ice creams despite the weather. And then on these Sundays we're walking along, and I don't know if you know that part, but if you go out of Bude and turn right, you go across Cooklutz Bay and you go up onto the cliffs and you can walk right the way, uh, well, virtually to Morwenstar. And as we were walking there, there was this signs up for something called Talon's Trust. Never heard of it before, didn't know anything about it. But before we got out of uh, a bit of the built-up area, we managed to Google it and find out what it was. It transpired that there was this lad called Talon who died about five or six years ago. He had cancer as a teenager, uh, fought it for a number of years, but when he was 19, he finally succumbed to the illness and died. And every year on his birthday is a fundraising activity. They have a fun run. It always seemed to be an oxymoron to me, fun run. But you know, they have a fun run in his name. And they have one for the kids. I don't know how old you've got to be to qualify as a kid, but this had in my sort of run. That was only two kilometers long along the cliffs. And when they finished, they gave them all a bar of chocolate. That's my sort of run, and that is as well. But the adults, you know, they had to run 19 kilometers. Uh, presumably it's because the guy died when he was aged 19. And they ran 19 kilometers over the cliffs and turned inland and back around. And when we came back from this walk, we saw them all starting off. And we sat at Crooklets, and they came back, if you know it, there were the life-saving hutches down by the sea, and they were coming back in, and they were all being clapped. They didn't get a bar of chocolate. They did get a cup of tea when they finished for this 19 miles. And there they were running back in, and they were stug with mud. And some of them came back in looking fit and healthy. Some of them were a bit like me, were gasping away, and, but they were determined to finish. And whether it was the kids as they were sort of finishing their two-mile run, and most of them were doing it with parents as they ran along, because some of them were very small and just needed a bit of encouragement. But, but the people that were clapping and they were cheering, and some of them were finding it tough, and particularly those who had done the 19-kilometer run as they got back there towards the lunchtime. But it was just almost a question of, you know, they were almost come to the end of their own energies but just that sort of appreciation, that cheering, and that clapping just sort of gave them that extra impetus to get over the line and to finish the race. And as we were sat there and we were clapping them in as well, I, I think one or two of them were probably, you know, I would have been a bit ruder to me if I saw them sort of sat there as we were sat licking our ice cream, sort of clapping them as they ran past us. But they were very gracious and some of them smiled and said thank you as they ran past us. But I was thinking of the, what I was going to say to you this morning. And I was just sort of thinking of this one verse that I really wanted to concentrate on this morning. Because, you know, if I think I could do with anything, is to encourage churches and individual members in churches to be more encouraging. I remember when I was at school, I wasn't particularly very good at PE, 
Um, I used to hate, you know, used to have to wear green flash plimsolls were as posh as we got when I was at school, you know, never mind trainers. And we had to sort of put on the gym kit, and I used to try and always forget mine. I, I love playing rugby, but, you know, PE was always a bit, oh, you know. I was always the last to be picked at anything, and I used to sort of go on there. And I remember one day in the gym, and it, it was the days of Nadia Comaneci. I don't know if you remember her from the Olympics, and we had to do all these things on the mat and everything else. And I thought, oh, I'll give it a go, I might as well. Hopefully nobody's going to laugh very much. And, uh, and it got to the end, and although this happened about, I don't know, 45 years ago, 43 years ago, I still remember... At the end of the lesson, our teacher, Les May, taught me PE, taught me rugby later on, said to me this, Simmons, because we didn't have Christian names when I was at school, we only ever had surnames, he said to me, Simmons, well done, you've done the best work in the class today. Nobody ever said to me at PE, I tell you what, I didn't want to be there at the beginning, but at the end, I walked out as I was 10 foot tall. I tell you, the next week, I'd had so much white stuff on my green flash plimsolls. They shone as I went in there. I was ready. I was first into the gym. I, oh, perhaps I could be good enough. He'd never said it to me again in the whole of the rest of my time at school. But I remember that praise that I got. Well done, Simmons. You did the best work in the class today. When I first started off in management as a partner, they sent me on a course. And they talked about people responding to a stick or a carrot as to whether some people need to be sort of, pardon the phrase, kicked up the backside to get moving and whether some people just need to be encouraged. I found out in life, you know, that most people don't respond to kicks up the backside. Very few do. But most will respond to encouragement. There's an author who wrote this. Flatter me and I may not believe you. Criticize me and I may not like you. Ignore me and I may not forgive me. But encourage me and I will not forget you. And particularly this morning, I was just thinking particularly of that verse in verse 15. The brothers and sisters there had heard that they were coming, and they traveled as far as the forum of Appius and the three taverns. Now, lest you think there was a, some sort of ancient pub crawl that they're on, the three taverns wasn't actually probably pubs. It was a word that was mainly used for shops. Some of those shops may have had refreshments in them as well. But, you know, they're on the forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. And at the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. You see, we all need encouragement. Even Paul, that great man of God, needed encouragement. And I love the, you know, these verses that we read together. Verse 11, after three months, does it say what they did during those three months? No, we get to the end. Paul was there for whole two whole years. Well, we'd see a little bit of what he did. He, he talked without and preached boldly. I didn't know how many people were saved. I can't say I find the Bible a bit irritating at times, but, you know, I want to know what happened during those times. I've written in my book of questions when I get to heaven. I want to know what happened during that time. And yet Scripture chooses to tell us in these couple of verses here of what happened, that the Christian brothers and sisters went out to encourage Paul. They stood by the roadside, and he was encouraged. This is important. Scripture sets it out more so than the result of what happened as a result of Paul's preaching, as it wants us to know. And when I read this a few years ago, I think it started my fascination with what I call the little people of the Bible. You know, you've heard me mention it before. People that sometimes are only mentioned once or twice, or people like this, they're only called the brothers, we don't even know who they were. And yet they're in Scripture for a reason, a lesson that we can learn. 
And the lesson is that we can learn this morning is that even though we may think that we're a nobody, even though we may think that people don't even remember our names, but why we do and what we do can encourage those in ministry, encourage those that are leading the church. What does it say in Scripture about encouragement? If a person's gift is to encourage them, then let them encourage them. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. Encourage one another daily. There are lots of words in Scripture that encourage us to encourage. In fact, one of my favorite people in Scripture, he had a nickname. Do you know what his nickname was? Barnabas, the son of encouragement. I've had plenty of nicknames in my life. I think I may have told you before. The one I used to have when I played rugby was they called me Honey. Uh, that wasn't because they thought I was good looking or anything else of that nature, because they thought I looked like the honey monster of the Sugar Puffs adverts. You know, it was a physical sort of attribute. But he had a nickname of Honey, sorry, of Barnabas, Honey, I should say, because uh, he was the son of encouragement. And that's what everybody knew about him. And I may have told you this before, but, you know, I'm getting old and I can repeat myself. And statistics said uh, in a magazine I read recently that people only remember 5% of the sermon the day after they hear it. And the 5% you probably remember includes that statistic as well. But, you know, I'm going to repeat myself. What is the Greek word? Parakaleo. What does it mean? Well, it, it's almost in the Greek as though it's a bit like somebody's got a pair of jump leads. You know what it is on a winter's morning and your car won't start? You could take your wife's car, but you know there probably wouldn't be any dinner on the table if you did that when you came home. Or a clean shirt for tomorrow. It wouldn't go down too well. You could call a taxi, but taxis are expensive and I don't like wasting money. So what do you do? Well, you could stay at home. But I think one thing you do is you go inside, you get the jump leads. You connect them from your car up to your wife's car. You get her to sit, probably still in her pajamas or whatever else, revving the car away. And you take the energy from her car to get yours going. And sometimes you know, that's the, sort of the feeling in Scripture of what encouragement is like. That sometimes you know, we feel as if we're getting to the end of our tether, that we're finding it difficult to go on, that being a Christian is, is so difficult. And yet we draw energy as somebody comes along beside us and put their arm around us and gives them some encouraging words of affirmation. And it enables us to continue. How, or what, how was he encouraged? What encouraged him? Well, first of all, it says that he was just encouraged by their very presence. I don't know what they actually did and took there, but I'm thinking that if they went as far as the three taverns and there were shops there, you know, they probably bought a picnic with them as well. I don't know whether they bought a new sort of clothing for him to wear or something. They probably did. But it just said, at the sight of these men, all, thank God, he was encouraged by their very presence. Now, it's probably about 33 miles from Rome to the Forum of Appius. Uh, it, it, it's along the famous uh, Appian Way. You know, so it, it wasn't you know, dirt track. It would have been a, a fairly decent road, but it still wasn't like the A38. You know, but you can imagine that as virtually you know, getting from here down to Plymouth, isn't it? 33 miles, maybe even a bit further. It would have taken them time. It would have taken them energy. I, I wonder if they had other things to do, other things that they had planned. You know, perhaps finally one of them was going to get to sort of, you know, decorate outside or cut the grass or had to go visit relatives or had an urgent meeting or whatever else. And they saw word went around, Paul is coming. We just want to go out and meet him and affirm him and encourage him. Are you up for it? And suddenly they sort of clear their diaries and think, yeah, we're going to go for it. And they travel. 
I don't know whether they went by horseback or donkey or cart or walked or whatever else, but they did the 33 miles just to be there. It was their presence that encouraged them. I don't know if you ever had friends where something has gone wrong, or perhaps there's been a bereavement in the family, and you never quite know what to say. You sort of almost avoid them. I remember when I played rugby, one of the guys I played with called Dave Sims, and his wife was a physio, and she worked in a mental health unit. She was called Georgina Robinson. This was about 30-odd years ago. And one of the patients there, the inpatient, was schizophrenia, picked up a knife and stabbed her to death. He'd lost his partner in his 20s. And as we were talking to him, as he came back to the rugby club, and he said, I, he said, I don't understand it. He said, people just walk to the other side of the street rather than speak to me. They don't know what to say. He said, I don't really want anybody to say anything. I just want to know that they're there for me. And one of my mates, Mark, slapped him on the top of the head and said, cheer up, slaphead, because he didn't have much hair, and we've made a joke. You know, it's just to be there. And sometimes it's just the very presence of being there which is enough. The words aren't needed, and the words may be facile in any event, but it's just the fact that we can be there which is an encouragement. And secondly, it was their support as well. It was at the sight of these men that he was encouraged. I'm sure they didn't just sort of stand there and clap like we did last week at Bude as those runners went past us. I'm sure they said that they bought food and maybe clean clothing and they were just sort of there and wanted to share with him and to hear all that had been going and to encourage him that they would always be there to support him as he was going to Rome. See, support is an incredibly important thing. You may recognize that picture there. I think they now call themselves WW. Sounds a bit like they want to be wrestlers instead of Weight Watchers instead, doesn't it? But you know the woman who started Weight Watchers, why she did it? She'd been trying to lose weight by herself and found out how incredibly difficult it was. And as she sat there with her friends in New York talking about it, they realized that if they were started to, to encourage one another and to be there for one another, and if they felt tempted to tuck into the chocolate fudge cake, you know, a bit like my dad, then they would be there to say, look, we're there for you. We're going to support you. And they started getting together every week. Hopefully it wasn't over a piece of cake and a cup of coffee. Just to encourage you. And she suddenly found out that as she did that, her friends and she all started to be able to lose weight. It was their support. And she started Weight Watchers, and now it's all over the world, and she's a multi-millionaire. And she even got uh, Oprah Winfrey as one of her spokespeople there as well. It was uh, the support that meant so much, that enabled them to achieve so much. Then I think there was also for Paul as well an approval of his ministry. You know, sometimes we sort of get to think that sometimes you know, preachers are, are different than everybody else. I think sometimes it's just that we're a bit louder than everybody else, but we all have our doubts. We all have our fears. We all have times when we think we've gone home and think, did I do my best for the Lord? But, you know, they come and they approve him. They realize that he is sent by God. That he's been given a message and a task to do, and they want to encourage him. And I think, you know, it, for some of them, it may have been that Esther moment. Mordecai is saying, who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And she replies, if I perish, I perish. You know, I think for him, it was an affirmation that he was walking in the way of the Lord, whatever that result was going to be. It was an approval of his ministry and times going on. What effect did that encouragement have? Well, the first of all is it had an effect on Paul himself. 
he was encouraged and he thanked God at the sight of these men. Isn't that amazing? He thanked God for them. I often wonder, you know, when he sat there over those next two years preaching and talking, whether he sat there in Rome and he was writing some of those epistles and some of those letters. And you can go and pick out verses where I'm sure it was in his mind is what happened as he went past the three taverns that time. That encouragement, it stuck with him. Just as what Mr. May, Les May, said to me all those years ago has stuck with me. It encouraged and cheered him. And I think it had an effect on him. I think it had an effect on his ministry. It had an effect on the epistles that he wrote. I don't know. I'm going to ask if it's not true. Forgive me. But I think it probably was. Thirteen books of the New Testament were written after this time. It had an effect on Paul. But I also think it had an effect on them as well. I'm always amazed. You know, scripture says it's better to give than to receive. Now, when you're a kid, you don't always believe that's true, is it? But, you know, sometimes when you get a bit older, you realize the truth of that. And by helping someone else, you find out that you yourself are helped and you are strengthened. And by lifting someone else's load, you find that your own load becomes a little bit lighter. Now, my dad's often said that one of the books he would have loved to have written was Christians that I've known go through hard times. And as they get towards the end of their life. You see, because sometimes as you visit, you expect things to be difficult. But sometimes it's such an encouragement and a blessing. And I'm thinking particularly of one lady I went to see. I, oh, I'd put it off for a couple of weeks. I knew I had to go visit her and I wasn't looking forward to it. But when I went to visit, I'll tell you what, her faith, her radiance, her joy just uplifted me so much. You know, I was the one that came away being encouraged, not her. They were encouraged. And I also wonder as well, what about the prison guards as well? You know, when you have a prison, you don't normally expect to see people come out and welcome them and cheer them. I don't know whether they bought food and clothing and all the rest of that as well. It doesn't say, and I'd love to ask when I get to heaven and I'll find out from Paul, whether they're impressed by the love and the care and the concern that was shown. There was a lady in our church, in our house group, uh, two or three years ago who had an operation. And when she went back to work, her family said, oh, I suspect your husband was a regular down the dip shop whilst you were you know, not able to do anything. And she said, oh, no, she said, we had lovely people at church who cooked us meals. And someone came round and did the ironing. And they really cared for us. And a friend who wasn't a Christian looked and said, wow, she said, I'd love to have friends like that. I'd love to have friends like that. Tim Mitchin, the comedian and uh, musical songwriter on Desert Island Discs, he says he was an atheist, but he says that one of the things, the great aspects of the Christian faith are the love and the support that he's seen Christians receive from their fellow brothers and sisters. What an act of witness that is. It had an effect on them all. And then lastly, how do we encourage? Well, first of all, I think we can encourage by our words. Encourage one another, says in Thessalonians, with these words. It's important, the words that we use. I remember when I was in university, I may have told you before, I had a friend called Keith. We used to call him Keith the Angel. You know, do you ever remember Mr. Ben on telly? You know, he used to appear by magic. Well, Keith used to be a bit like that. Whenever you were sort of really down, or whenever you were thinking about doing something bad that you shouldn't be doing, Keith used to sort of suddenly almost appear from nowhere, put his arm around you and say, Brother, I've got a word from the Lord for you. I'm sure he was an angel, but he's a missionary abroad now, Keith, anyway. But, you know, it's just the words that he had. 
Sometimes when you're feeling down or you're wrestling with a problem, and just the words that he would share would mean so much. We can encourage by our words. Uh, one of the said is we went for a walk and we walked past those runners, and, and if you keep on going, you go past, uh, I can't remember what it's called, something south, Normouth Mouth or something, and, and it said there was a cafe. That for 31 quid a night, you don't get breakfast at the Premier Inn. I'm too tight to pay for their breakfast. Because, you know, my wife just has a problem. What is it to eat all you can? It's not supposed to be a challenge. So she's happy that we don't have breakfast there. So what we normally do is sort of go out for a bit of a walk, and then we sort of stop and have breakfast somewhere partway through the morning. And the problem was that when we got to the first cafe, it was closed, only open during the season. My stomach was starting to rumble by then. I was really looking forward to a cup of coffee and a bacon butty. And so we kept on moving. And then if you get to the next place, you get to Sandy Mouth Bay, I think it's called. And I don't know if you know it there, but the, sort of, the hills start to go a bit like that as you get a bit closer. And we knew that there was a cafe there, but we couldn't see it. And I said to Val, I've had enough. If we can't find a cafe there, I don't know where we're going to find one. It's a long way to Morwen, so let's just turn back and go to Bude. And as we were stood there, sort of discussing what to do, and at the top is just about roughly where we were stood, these two guys walked past with a dog. And in desperation, I said to them, I said, I, I think there's a cafe here. Do you know where it is? And they said, come with us. And we walked about 30 yards to the brow of the hill. And as we looked down, there was this cafe nestled down in the valley. We were only 30 yards short of being able to see it. And yet, if they hadn't been there, we would have turned around and gone three miles back to Bude for our cup of coffee and bacon butties. So close, yet we were almost about to give up. And we went down, and you can see the picture that we took there as we sat there, and then drank our co well, kind of cups of tea. I had coffee and our bacon butties. So close. See, if those people hadn't been there to give us that encouragement and say, yes, we've walked here before. You may be grockles who haven't been here before, but we've been here. We know it's just over the ridge. What's that lovely hymn that sometimes we stand and we hear the saints of old cheering us on our way? And I love it when some of the older saints, I'm getting one of those myself now, have just come along beside and say, look, don't worry. I've been that way before. I know the challenges. I know the difficulties. I know what you're facing, but don't worry. Just over the horizon, there are better days to come. And we may not see it, because the hill may seem very steep, but just a few more paces, and with their encouragement, we got there. And the smiles on our faces as we saw that cafe. By our actions, support, a listening ear, a shoulder to cry on, a text that's sent, a gift of time, perhaps some money. Time's gone on by meeting together. Of course, didn't I realize how much I missed my brothers and sisters in Christ? I used to think some of them were irritating. But you know, when it got to lockdown, I missed this. Hebrews 10, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And that's what we do. We encourage one another. We come together in our praise and our worship to give it to Christ, to give it to the Lord. And it's pleasing to him. But, you know, I sometimes feel like the Queen of Sheba when we go to visit Solomon. What happened? She took her gifts. But when she went away, she took her far more than she had ever brought. And that's what the Lord gives us. 
And that's what we encourage one another with on a Sunday morning. Time's almost gone. Do you know they, an old lady went to the Duke of Wellington in old age? And as he sat there in his little retirement home in Oxfordshire, some of you may have been there. It's only a modest pad, isn't it? Southern Palace. But you know, when they spoke to him, he said this. What would you do differently if he'd had his life all over again? He thought for a moment and replied, I'd give more praise. Isn't that telling? A man who had achieved so much, yet his answer was, I'd give more praise. You see, the churches in which we live and we worship and we serve the Lord are supposed to be places of acceptance and love and forgiveness and encouragement. And the sad thing is that sometimes our experience is far different than that. That the places of judgment and criticism and backbiting and carping. I'd give more praise. The brothers there had heard we were coming. They traveled, they put what it was their interest to one side. They went as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. And at the sight of these men, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. Do you know, I pray that this week somebody will look at me and be encouraged and thank God because I've put myself out to step with them in their struggle, to walk with them along their path and to encourage them in their walk. It's so important. Scripture puts it there, more so than what he did in those two years as he stayed in Rome. And I think that's the lesson that I want us to learn from this morning. It isn't just for some, but it's for all of us that we can draw along beside and encourage. And people may learn more from you than ever they've learned from me this morning because you're on their wavelength. You understand what they're going through. The Lord has got a job for us all to do as we encourage one another. And draw each other closer to himself. Amen.